Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, I'm joined by the Washington Post, Sam Fortier, as we answer some of your mailbag questions. I will get back to answering them on my own in the off season, but sometimes I like to provide you with multiple thoughts from those on the beat. I think you get a better discussion that way and probably more insight. And I definitely agree because there's sometimes where even after this, I told Sam that was a good point. I'm glad you brought that up and it helped us give you more um, depth to the answers. Anyway, we talk a lot about quarterbacks. You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam4TR and you can read my work on ESPN.com, of course. Before Sam and I answer your mailbag questions, I want to get into my prediction. And I'll be honest, I wanted to pick Washington. In fact, I did, and then I went and changed because there are just too many questions about who's going to be available. We know that Tressway is on the COVID list. I know that Antonio Gibson did not practice Thursday. He wasn't even on the field, and that's usually not a good sign. I think they still expect him to play as of now, but what does he have left? And if he doesn't play, it's hard to like their chances or if he's just limited into what he can do. Guys played tough and he's played hurt, but it it takes a toll. I like Jared Patterson's toughness, but what kind of depth does Washington have at the position if Gibson is not a big factor? Not a lot. So if he's limited at all, it's going to hurt. We don't know what Montez Sweat situation is, and it's a horrible tragedy for his family that his brother was killed. And I don't want to boil it down to a football situation because first and foremost, it's about the family. And, you know, whether I don't know if he's going to be available for that game and wouldn't blame him if he's not. So, we, but we just don't know. And that would clearly just from an on-field standpoint, that would be a big loss. It would help if guys like Curtis Samuel and Gammy Brown contributed consistent plays. That hasn't happened all year. Why would it happen now? Samuel has been practicing. Gammy Brown coming off a big catch. And one thing that Brown told us the other day is that he feels like he's starting to become more decisive in his route running, something that was lacking earlier, and it led to him not creating separation. Will that help this game? We'll see. I do like how Washington matches up with the Eagles, though. I just don't know if it has enough still to win. There are a couple of reasons why I nearly rolled the dice and picked them. And it's not all about X's and O's because that in part is what scares me. I love the design of the Eagles run game and how it caused so much hesitation by the linebackers and others. Can they solve that in less than two weeks? It will help to have Cam Curl back, notably when covering tight end Dallas Goddard. He torched Washington with seven catches for 135 yards in that first meeting doesn't happen if Curl is defending him. I know Landon Collins had a couple of takeaways in this game and won't be playing obviously Sunday, but he also gave up some plays because of undisciplined uh, play. And so if you can get, you know, you may not get some of the, I mean, even the first interception, he was beat on that play. It was just a crazy play and it bounced right to him, but he was initially beat. And so I think you, if you can get somebody who can handle that role a little bit better, maybe you can take something away, maybe not the ball, but maybe take some other stuff away just by being disciplined, can you do that? I know that Washington had some players back for the first meeting who were on the COVID list that came off late, but it was clear they were gas coming off COVID. I mean, I look at John Allen, he was wiped in the fourth quarter. It's a lot to handle. At one point, a Washington team doctor said only two of the 23 on the COVID list showed symptoms that would have caused him to sit them. I'll be honest, it feels like a few more had symptoms than what we initially heard early on, And those who do said they were very fatigued. 
coming back, Taylor Heineke said it. Kyle Allen, who had it worse than Heineke, said he he basically said for four or five days he felt horrible or felt really bad. And then it was 10 days before he felt better. He said it was even to yesterday, I think, is when he said he felt like himself. But when he came back, he came back Friday. When he went out to warm up on Sunday, he said he cut it short by 20 minutes because he was too tired. So they're not going to be dealing with all of that this week. And this is Washington's first normal week in almost a month. I think that matters. They're not coming off a short week. They're not flying to the coast. They're facing a team that's coming off the same rest as they are. That, I believe, works in their favor. It's the first time that's happened in about a month. I also don't think they've quit at all on this coaching staff, especially on Ron Rivera. But this is a game to prove that, especially after what happened last week. Again, I wasn't surprised that they lost to Dallas by multiple touchdowns. The 42 points, that's a bit much. We know that. Heck, in the first game against the Eagles, they competed with Garrett Gilbert at quarterback. It was a third, they were down by three with the Eagles on a third and six midway through the fourth quarter. That they were in a spot to perhaps win that game. Now, the Eagles moved the ball up and down on them, and that's what they have to worry about this week. And I do think having corner Kendall Fuller back for this one helps quite a bit as well. I want to pick Washington this one. I just wonder what they have left physically and emotionally, and they're technically still alive for a playoff spot, but the Eagles most definitely are. That might be enough to help them win this game, and you know that the Eagles are going to have a lot of fans there. I absolutely think Washington can win, and at one point today, I picked them before changing my mind. I think that I think it's that much of a toss-up because while the Eagles end up beating the Giants bad last week, they look like they look terrible for three quarters. So again, I think they they are a vulnerable team, to say the least. But they are playing well and with some confidence. Also, on another note, if Taylor Heineke struggles in the first half. I think they need to turn to Kyle Allen. This is a last chance game, and Heineke has not played well in his last two games. He's been inaccurate and made some bad decisions. If there is a bad start, I'd give Allen a shot. Okay, that's it for me. After this break, I'll answer your mailbag questions with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. A lot of quarterback questions, but also linebacker talk as well. What will be a big area of need this offseason? Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with Sam Fortier from the Washington Post. All right. Well, I brought in a some relief for me to answer these mailbag questions because there's a lot of them and it's heavy lifting. So I brought in Sam Fortier to help me out here. Sam, you ready for some uh, Christmas mailbag? <laughs> I, I'm okay. so I'm very excited. Let's get it. Let's get it going. OK. All right. I feel like Newman and Seinfeld. I don't know. If, I hope I hope people get that reference. So, all right. Let's start with Pedro Smith. And this is a topic that is going to be dominated in the offseason. And it's timely now because of what happened last week. Out of the four starting defensive linemen, who is the least likely to get a second contract? Now I'll go first. And I think and I wanted to answer this one because a lot of people had questions about Deron Payne, John Allen, what that means, et cetera. And then you saw Deron Payne, I guess, I don't, somebody said that he scrubbed his Instagram account of Washington stuff and his dad was saying stuff. What does that mean? You know, I think, I think to be honest, my take would be if you're, if one guy's going to be left out, they've already signed John Allen. We know he's sticking around. Tim Settle's a free agent. I don't know if they'd want to pay him. You, I think it'd be really, really hard to get rid of, the, rid of one of the defensive ends or not sign them down the road. So I think that would leave Payne as the odd man out if one of them is the odd man out. 
I had the, the other question I would have is if they trade for a quarterback, do they use pain as, as, as to help with that? Um, I think that's another thing you could look at. And I also think it depends on, um, it depends a lot on, do you get a veteran quarterback or do you get a rookie quarterback? Because if you're getting a veteran, you're going to have to pay the veteran. And that means you would have a hard time keeping all those guys. They've worked hard to try to put themselves in position to do that. The only way I think you can do that is with a rookie quarterback. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that our thoughts are in line on that issue. But I do think, to me, there is a reality in which they, they don't end up paying Montez Sweat. Um, obviously, I, I think that's unlikely. I think that if you had to pick one of those guys, especially the first guys, it would it would have to be Deron Payne as, as who's likely to not get a second contract. But I think a universe exists in, in which, you know, either uh, they decide that because, you know, premier edge rushers are going right. to cost you too much. Yep. Um, or, you know, maybe – uh, they decide, hey, Chase is the guy we want to build around, and, and therefore, you know, for our roster to be viable, uh, not just this year and not just next year, but in the future, um, we can't commit a certain amount of cap to him. And, and you know, maybe – I don't even know if it's, a, it's about a developmental thing or, or whatever, but um, to me it's just – I think it would be one of those two guys. Obviously, it's not John Allen, as we said. Right. Uh, Tim Settle, I mean, he's only playing, you know, a handful of snaps each game this year, so I, I doubt that he would be back. Um, and then Chase Young, I mean, obviously we're, we're in a world of unknown with him as well, coming back from, from an ACL injury. Um, but if he comes back and is the same guy, uh, I mean, obviously Rivera's first draft pick, a guy that is local. I mean, that he's, the, he's the sort of guy where it would take a lot, I think, for him to not get a second contract. Correct. And I think I agree with you on that analysis, even with Montez, that, that if you're you know, he would be the other one in that scenario. So, and it, it would, nothing would shock me at that because if you're looking at those ends and I had Joe Corey on the cap expert last off season, and his take was you may have to pay those guys in the 25, $30 million range. Do you want do you, can you afford to pay two guys that range? And again, that depends on what you have at quarterback. So yeah, I could see that as well. And again, if you wanted to, if you want, if you have to trade for a quarterback, that might be there's some enticing trade bait there. Um, don't know if that would happen, but that's where that's where you've tried to play something out. And if you decided that you can't keep all of them, then you're going to try and maximize their value at some point. So next one is Stammer. It's at Prime Stammer. Is Deshaun Watson to Washington a possibility? And it's, I guess we just talked about pain being a trade possibility. Let's talk. Let's talk about Deshaun Watson. What do you think? I mean. There, there's. I think there's a lot that goes into this, um, but I would have to say that, you know, barring, I feel like the caveat to the situation is barring legal proceedings. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Um, but, but if his legal issues are cleared up, even though I think he fits the bill of, of what this team needs in terms of a, a quarterback in his prime, a quarterback that could come in and immediately elevate this team um, and have championship aspirations, I am still skeptical because the specific nature of the Deshaun Watson allegations to me feels um, pretty hard to swallow. If your organization is also coming off um, accusations of, of sexual harassment, uh, of verbal abuse, of mistreatment of, of women employees. Um, so to me, I mean, Deshaun Watson might, might fit the bill on the field, but to me, it would be uh, certainly a difficult PR situation to say the least. Yeah. And I think the other thing to add to that is that he has a no trade clause and Everything I've heard leading up to this point is that he would not waive it to come here. So I think that would shut that down completely. Um, but, you know, I think that's the bit that's a big factor. But what you say from their end, 
why it would be tough to go get him. Yeah. So I think I don't see that as a possibility. Not certainly not right now. But again, something would have to change for putting aside all the legal crap, which is hard to do because it's a big part of it. But just from his standpoint, I think he'd have to say that's a place I'd want to go. And that is not the case right now. Um, Ron Rivera's burner. There we go. Are you afraid that <laughs> no. are you afraid that rushing the drafting of a quarterback in this upcoming draft class could potentially set this franchise back even more if they don't pan out, as in the D-line being end up broken up over that time frame? And I'll start with that. I think what would concern me more is not having a quarterback because they haven't had one for so long. And if you talk to any football guys, like if you don't have one, you've got to keep trying to get one. So now the where I would say to that point. If you're if you think a guy is a second or third round talent, and you're picking him 10th or 11th. That's a mistake. But if you think the guy is a mid round first first round grade and you're picking mid first round and you draft him, that's not a mistake. That's picking a guy where he should. Then you have to develop him. And yes, you you can set yourself back. Um, it's not. And when people talk about setting themselves back. Back in the day, it set you it set you back even more because the money that was involved for rookie draft picks before there was a cap on the rookie class. It's not the case anymore. So if, if you draft somebody 15th, it's like Dwayne Haskins. They moved on pretty quickly from him. He, you know, uh, and it wasn't it's it's the inability to find somebody after him. But Haskins himself doesn't set the franchise back years. It's the inability to find somebody after him. But they could, but they were able to move on quickly. The money is what would set people back because you're tied into them so much. So, but I think the bigger factor is if you don't have a quarterback, you set yourself back. But I, but I would reiterate, if you draft the guy in the right spot, and there are guys in this draft, and there are quarterbacks in this draft that you know will be overdrafted because the teams are going to talk themselves into loving one. Um, I know people here are already fearful of that. Not so much them doing it, but they know that others will do it. Well, you've got to make sure you don't do it either because just because you need one. I think that's where you get yourself in trouble and then trying to develop a guy that maybe is not worth developing. What do you say, Sam? Right. And I, I think the important discussion to that is, is the concept of, of ranges, right? Because when you draft Dwayne Haskins 15, but you had him graded, you know, as a third round pick or whatever, that is not in the right range. Correct. To the point, to to the question of is a weak draft class. um, But I would say, if you have a guy who you think could be in the, in the upper first round range, then I think you have to take your shot because there's going to be yeah. no, there's no perfect situation unless you're Ron Rivera in Carolina and 11 and Cam Newton wins the Heisman and he's obviously your guy. I mean, unless you are in a position to take a Joe Burrow, there will never be a perfect situation Correct. to do something. And so I think you have to take that shot if you believe the guy can be the guy. And I would also point out that, you know, the year Deshaun Watson was drafted, that was not seen as a strong quarterback class. Right, right. Scott Turner has pointed this out. And, and, and I still think that despite the effort, despite the, you know, the systems in place to evaluate quarterbacks from, you know, from before they hit high school to elite 11 to college games, it's still an imperfect science. And if you think, hey, this guy has a few traits that we can bring in and, you know, we can, we can elevate these traits or we can game plan around them. He can be our franchise guy. If you believe he has that capability, then I think you have to take yes. that shot because there's so few layups in, in terms of quarterback development in this league. There is. And, and then it comes down to what do you have around that quarterback to help them succeed? I mean, you look at Mac Jones. I think if Mac Jones goes to Chicago, he's not mm-hmm. 
you know, he's not what people think he is right now. And you look at Patrick Mahomes, he was not a top pick and he went to a place that was perfect for him, you know, and Deshaun Watson went to a place that worked out well for him. So you're right. I mean, I think that's another factor here, but I agree. Like you, if you, if you like the guy and you think he's a first round quarterback and you're picking there in the middle first round, it's like 10 slots higher. Well, that's okay because you need the quarterback and that's the round where you where you want to get him. Yeah, because with Haskins, he was rated as a third-round grade by their scouts. And the, the only reason why I say he didn't set him back years is because, again, they were able to move on from him. They could have moved on from him the next year. If if they hadn't – if they – I mean, that goes – you know, if they wanted to, they could have taken Justin Herbert. Now, that's where you set yourself back with that decision, and I understand it. And I think that's where maybe I, maybe I should amend what I say because if I think if it had been a year later – um, if, if Haskins had been here two years and had had that second year like he did here, well, they absolutely would have taken Justin Herbert number two. But at, because it was a second year and because you wanted to see, well, maybe you could get something out, maybe you could make it work with him. And the guy you really liked was Joe Burrow. Then maybe you were willing to to um, to go a different direction and go with Chase Young. So in that regard, it, it did not help. So anyways, yeah, they're, and, they need and, a quarterback. Um, I remember like I wrote a story about Patrick Mahomes uh, when he was a junior at Texas Tech. And at the time, he was just seen as as the latest shiny stat sheet off that right. air raid systems development. Right. And and I used to cover the Chargers before I covered this team. And I was at Patrick Mahomes's first start. And, and when he cooked the Chargers, obviously, that's you know become sort of a commonplace thing. But that would, we were really surprised because you didn't know uh, what he could do. And, and I know that with Justin Fields, with Mac Jones, a lot of these rookie quarterbacks start right away. But Patrick Mahomes was an example of, hey, we think this guy, you know, he can throw it 80 yards from his knees. Let's bring him in. Let's, you know, let's develop him along for a year and then put him out there. So I think really what this shows you is that there are multiple different ways to attack right. developing and finding your franchise guy. But you have to be on a cohesive, you know, clear plan where everyone Correct. is pulling in one direction as we've not seen be the case here before. Right. And that's, that's a big key. And that, and it starts with the front office and the coaching staff being on the same page mm -hmm. with, with it. And then the plan to develop them. And, you know, we, we saw that with Haskins, they were not on the same page and they, while the organization said, Hey, we don't want to play him this year. They clearly, they ended up having no choice because the way the season unfolded, but the desire was that that was where they were on the same page, but the, you know, but they were not on the same page as far as, talent level should they draft him in the first round or not and and it does it does matter I think that's why Mahomes went to the perfect place for him I think listen Aaron Rodgers went to the perfect place for him years ago because you know it's funny because Washington could have drafted him ninth overall in that draft if they really liked him but would he have been Aaron Rodgers here because he goes to Green Bay they revamp his his throwing mechanics they revamp a lot of his game he sits behind Favre and then when he's done working on all the changes and all that, he gets a chance to play and he's a, and he becomes what he is. If he had come here, do they change all his mechanics? He probably has to play right away. So is he a, is he a different quarterback because he's, he hasn't gone through those mechanical changes? And so it just everything depends on where you get drafted and um, and and what you're able to do with them once you get there. So Green Bay had a plan for him, and and I think it's it's kind of worked out. So let's go to the next one. Skins Universe 8, if you had to bet right now, you okay, more quarterback. Do you think they prefer to acquire, acquire a veteran quarterback on the trade market or a favor of drafting a quarterback? Well, just my point, my thing real quick on this would be, 
I think they always would favor a rookie quarterback in part because, because then they can afford, you always want the rookie quarterback on the rookie contract because then you can continue to build around them. If you have to go out and trade for a quarterback, you know, a, a Derek Carr, you're going to have to pay Derek Carr. So that goes back to the first answer we had about the D lineman and having to, you know, then who's going to be the odd, odd guys out. Um, so my sense would be favor drafting a quarterback, but I don't know that that's going to be the ultimate solution because I think when you look at the quarterback classes, you know, there aren't a lot of guys that you're going to, the depth isn't there. So if you're not sure you're going to get one of those guys, then you're going to have to explore the other. But I think the preference would be build around, draft a guy, and then go. But what do you think? I think they would have no preference in terms of they just want one, finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they had to, I mean, I would, I would argue, um, like you said, for roster building, it's much more effective to have a rookie. And obviously, you know, there, there are, I think, even habits or, or ways that you can mold him to fit, you know, how you see your talent most complimenting him. Um, but I, I do think just to kind of um, give another perspective here, uh, I do think a, a veteran could be an attractive option just because you seem to have the line in place. Your, your skill players are coming right. along. And if, if you could go get a guy, a Derek Carr, a Russell Wilson, I'm not saying those are our candidates. I'm just saying that those are guys who are potentially on the move this off season. If you were able to get one of those guys, it's sort of a, a plug and play. You, you, you do sacrifice financial flexibility. You sacrifice ability to grow, you know, down the road. Um, but I think that you're, you're willing to take those risks, uh, especially if you're Ron Rivera headed into year three and you really need to show right. um, some, some growth. And so I think that they don't, I, I, I think that no matter which one they end up pursuing, um, you can kind of market it a different way. If you get a rookie, Hey, you know, this year might, might not be the best, but Hey, we're growing towards something. If you get a veteran, Hey, we can go out and, and do what we want to do right now. Um, but I think, I think there's, there's multiple ways to cut it, but if you had to pick one, I, I think you'd obviously prefer to hit in the draft. Right. You want, and, and I think then again, it's always, what is the cost? So if you want to go out and get a Derek Carr and you're going to give up a couple picks, you know, I'm not giving up two first round picks, but you give up a, you know, first and something else, then you have to pay them. So now you're going to lose some players possibly because you're going to have to pay them. And so like, what is the, you know, what, you know, who are you going to have to lose? Are you still able to build around that quarterback? But do you have to build as much around Derek Carr as you would around one of these guys in the draft? So I think there's a lot of things, a lot of ways to look at it. But your your point, your first point was the best one. Their preference is to find a quarterback. And they did offer a first and a third for Matthew Stafford last year. And what I'd always heard is when they feel like the rosters at a certain point, they could be more aggressive pursuing a quarterback is the roster at that point. Now, after this year is it's probably debatable to say that, but um, I think, you know, they, I think they will be very aggressive though, looking for a quarterback one way or another. I, I, th- I think that like w- one more to your point, their cost to everything. Yes. If you get a veteran, you have to pay him and, and then you have to structure the team around him. But I think the cost of drafting a rookie is the uncertainty that comes yeah, along with him. That's a fair point. I mean, what it, I mean, what if he, you know, if he tops out as a, as an Andy Dalton, I guess, are are you, you know, is, are you okay with that? Is that, is that good enough? What is the threshold of what he needs to hit as a development to then make the financial flexibility worth it? Because, you know, Justin Herbert obviously is great, but, but if he maxes out as Tua and, and, you know, can that guy, obviously the Dolphins right now are making a push, but 
can he get you to the playoffs? Can he win you a Super Bowl? I mean, the, the, the cost sure. is that's, uncertain. That's, and, that, and that's a great, great point. And I'm glad you made that because, you know, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at roster building, but you're right. If you want to, you know, Derek Carr, you know exactly what you'd have in him if that's the guy you went after. Um, and I bring him up all the time. I bring him up more because I think that's probably a more realistic option because guys like Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, um, if there's a no trade clause or a preference, I don't know that it would be here. And I don't think those teams would want to trade in the NFC either. So that's why, but I, that's why I always go back to Carr. And you do know what you have in him, and he, he's definitely an upgrade here. And then it's at to what what's the cost? But to your point, the cost and this to an earlier point about setting something back. If you if you you know spend three or four years trying to develop, you know whoever it is, whether it's Malik Willis or or you know um, Coral or whomever, and you get to three or four years and you realize it's just not going anywhere. Well, then what? Where have you gotten? So. You know, there is a risk, there's a risk to all of it. I mean, that's that's why they that's why they get a lot of money to make these decisions, and it's why we don't get paid quite as much to second guess them. And the next one is a process. Do you view Jamin Davis ultimately growing into the role of the second linebacker with Holcomb when playing nickel? Great if he were also Mike, but not critical. Looks to me to be thinking, not reacting. If you can't be trusting nickel, looks like a blown pick. Well, my quick take on Davis is one. Ultimately, they're, they see him as an outside linebacker. They know they need to get a middle linebacker for next year and, and put Cole, Holcomb, and then Davis on the outside where I think they're much more suited. So I, I do think that Davis is a good cover linebacker. I think, I think he will grow there. Um, I agree that sometimes thinking and not reacting, especially against the run, um, that's where um, I think he – probably thinks a little bit more. I think it's too early to call him a blown pick. And, and I, I say this as somebody who, when in the, in our pre-draft stuff, I had had them taken um Kormoa from Notre Dame to play outside linebacker. Cause that's a guy that I really liked. So I'm not, but I'm not going to write off Davis after one year because there are games where you see the coverage is there. Um, so let's see how he develops, but I don't write guys off after one year um, like that. But anyways, what do you think, Sam? Yeah, I, I think that he, he could still grow in, into that, you know, uh, outside linebacker. Like you said, I think the coverage, you, you can see it sometimes, the athleticism, even, you know, against the run sometimes you, when, he, when he does read and react, Correct. you see what, what yeah. they were looking for. But I, I do think them even saying, you know, or, or, or their sense that he probably is best suited as an outside linebacker is a little bit of a tacit acknowledgement that maybe – you know, the pre-draft evaluation might've been a little off because, Correct. you know, when, when we talked to Ron um, at the, at the Joe Gibbs event over the summer, the thing that he pointed out, you know, I, I, someone asked about, could Cole, a whole Cole Holcomb uh, be, you know, a, a, an every down linebacker, what, what could he grow into? And Ron went out of his way to say that he thought that Jamin Davis could be the Luke Keekley type because right. not, you know, not necessarily saying he could be Luke Keekley, but, we were talking about position flexibility before the draft, especially with Wusu Koromora playing strong or nickel or linebacker. And he made the point that the thing they liked about Jamin Davis was his positional flexibility in linebacker, being able to play both outside positions or, you know, being able to play middle. And I think that we've seen this year him maybe not progress as much as that Mike linebacker, as we saw, you know, even in offseason workouts when, when he was getting some time at those positions. So, I, I, I agree it's it's too early to call it a blown pick, but I do think the ceiling might be a little lower than they anticipated. And, and I think, and, and you're right. And I think 
you know, it's funny because when before the draft, I had talked to some people who I really trust and they did not think he could, that he was an inside linebacker in the NFL. They thought he was an outside, outside linebacker. Um, other, a few teams did, a few people I really trust did view him that way. Um, but I think they've come to the realization that they needed a middle linebacker. And so um, I think that goes to your point. And it, you know, he was not what they were hoping necessarily as far as the position flexibility, but I still think he has value for them. And down the road, I think he could develop into something outside, but he's got to do it. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, defend their pick because I want, I felt like they should take Koromo and, and, you know, um, but anyway, so moving on. Um, Spider Strick wants to know, I understand this year's free agent class is underperformed and the draft class appears to be coming along slowly. Don't you think people are panicking over the front office way too early? I mean, they've only overseen one off season. What do you think? Well, I mean, yes, I, I think that the sample size is, is certainly small. You want to see, you know, maybe one or two more uh, at least before you say, hey, this front office has had this certain trends. And, and I'm always wary of, of uh, you know, hammering guys for, for misses uh, because I think every front office misses and, and it's all about overcoming um, those misses. But I do think the concern for me is if you're going to go out and get a number one corner in William Jackson – and then either he is unable to transition or it takes a long time to transition into your scheme or, the, you know, the coaching staff can't figure out the way to maximize him. If everyone is not on the same page, that to me is more concerning than, than the development or the performance of one certain player um, or pick. And obviously, you know, if, if Jamin Davis, if that was the case where, you know, someone saw him one way, another person saw him another way, and, but, but ultimately the, the, the evaluation didn't match what he was able to do on the field, um, it, it's not a bust, but but certainly it's, it's concerning. How did you, what was the process to get to that pick? I think, because I think, you know, they have hit on Sam Cosme, even though he's had some injury concerns and John Bates has been a nice surprise. Uh, Diami has been, uh, I think a disappointment so far, but, but, but he, you know, he has shown the capability of one of, of making that play last weekend. So I think it's too early, but I do think there are some worrying signs of, Hey, how did we arrive at this decision? Right. Well, and I think that's what you have to do with this offseason. Or and when you when they look back on the season, be honest with yourselves about how you got why certain things happened. With Will with William Jackson, I'll be honest. You know, people I know who know him well, like he's a man corner. He's not his own corner. And, mm-hmm. and they've played a lot more zone here, especially in the second half of the year. And you still see him adjusting to some of that. Um, so you know, and I mean, I think he's been fine, but is he worth what you're paying him? I think that's certainly questionable. Curtis Samuel, the, the hard part with that one is, first of all, I mean, he was productive in Carolina. I don't think he's a game changer, but I think he's a productive player, but he got hurt. So are you, you know, is how do you look at that one? Well, he got hurt. And so is that a fault in the evaluation or the signing? They knew him very well. Um, and I do, I know some people felt like they overpaid him, but for agency taking the money away, he's a guy who can play in this league. And I think he could have helped them. Um, so I, I think with him, I would say the jury's out, but I, but like everybody else, you need to see it. And I, but I agree with you. I think you have to decide, well, you have to go back and evaluate and again, be honest about the evaluation and say, why did we not why, if you're the team, you say, why do we not get more production from our high-end acquisitions? And I would include Davis in that, Samuel, again, injuries, but is it, was there more to it um, than with um, 
you know, Diami, I'd put him in there and then William Jackson and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, obviously an injury, um, that an injury situation, but they did hit on other guys. DeAndre Carter, uh, Charles Leno was a good signing there. Flowers trade was, it was a helpful one, but the they're missing the impact of those high end guys. And that's where you, and, and listen, if you're a fan, you want to have confidence that when they go to make those picks this year, that, okay, well, you can trust what they're doing and, and that they're going to get it right because there's a track record. And, and in, in the last year, it did not pan out for them. So, all right, let's see. Um, we'll make this the one, the last one here. Um, Justin Thrush. Outside of quarterback, I feel the biggest area of need slash talent influx is at linebacker. Even with Davis, they were paper thin in depth, and it's showing late in the season. Do you agree? I think, you know, anyway, let's go there. Do you agree with that? I think the linebacker is is a big area of concern. I think uh, they've they've built up the offensive line, uh, the defensive line, which I think is a separate discussion about, you know, the talent they have. Right. Are they maximizing it? I don't think we've seen them really play up to their, their capability, except in that stretch run in 2020. So maximizing the talent you do have, I think, is a separate conversation. But um, I, I think that, you know, Bobby McCain has, has been a helpful signing once they figured out that uh, rotation back there. Um, so I think your, your secondary, other than the underperformance of William Jackson we've talked about, I think that linebacker um, is a big thing. And obviously they've been hurt over the middle quite often this year. Um, Jamin Davis, you know, even though he's shown strides in coverage, hasn't, you know, hasn't always been super consistent. Um, and I think, I think Cole Holcomb would tell you um, that even though he's grown a little bit, the consistency hasn't been there. And, and I think that linebackers coach Steve Russ has talked about that as well. So I, I also might say running back, because I, I think that Antonio Gibson yeah. still has a little bit of a ways to go. And I think that position group, especially without J.D. McKissick, and he's going to be a free agent this year, you might need to really address that. But obviously the running back position is shown to be more replaceable um, in, the, in the, over the last decade or so. So linebacker to me is, is probably the one, especially inside linebacker, is, is I think the one that, that you really have to attack um, going forward. I, I agree, and I think they do. I think they would as well because defensively, that's the missing piece is the inside linebacker. And I think Cole Holcomb has grown there, but I still think outside is where they feel he's most comfortable. And I would agree with that. And I think what you see sometimes is the has the hesitation still. Um, some games you do not. I, I think there were times as the year went on where you started to see, okay, there's a there's a see it, go get it but I think they need that consistently because when that doesn't happen, it leads to big plays or sometimes, you know, Sam, sometimes it's just like you might hesitate and it might lead only to a five yard gain, but now it's second and five versus it should have been second and seven or eight. And those little plays add up. And I think that's what they'd like to get to. And they playing behind that front, you need a guy that can, that can play off those double teams. Cause there are a lot of times this year, too many times, and I saw, I saw, I started to see it better during that four-game win streak. It was, it was better, but too often behind those double teams, you're not seeing the linebackers take advantage of those and getting into the hole quickly to either get the double teams off the lineman quicker or to um, be able to attack the gap and meet the back in the hole rather than three yards downfield or to getting your getting yourself taken out of a play. So I think that's a big missing piece for this defense, and I think they'll be aggressive looking for a guy there. And I agree with you on the running back. I think the depth has been an issue. And, you know, when they cut Peyton Barber, and I tweeted something about this, and it's like it's not so much I think Peyton Barber is a great guy, but they needed a guy like him. You know, and mm -hmm. if you're going to keep a Jarrett Patterson, great story, 
and see what he can do in the future. But it seemed like they were reluctant to use him at times. If that's the case, you needed to keep another veteran or find a veteran of more depth there to, you know, to somebody who can come in and for a McKissick or uh, Gibson, because, you know, we don't know yet if Gibson can handle what kind of load he can help for a full year because he's been hurt. He's had a lot of injury issues this year. It would have been nice to have some more veteran depth to, or just depth, more stronger depth to help him out. And I think they may need that depth over the next two weeks because I don't, you know, who knows if he's even going to play. So I think I, I would agree with you there. I think the last one, you know, I would say receiver, they have addressed that, but what they need there is for guys to develop. You need Deami Brown and Antonio Gandy Golden to develop and they, Gandy Golden has not. And, and Deami Brown outside of the one catch hasn't shown anything. And so they need those guys to develop. And then you need Curtis Samuel to, to be a contributor. But I would say I'm not going to sit there and count on that. If I can go get another guy, I'm going to get him because you need another guy. You can't have another year where Terry Burr, midway through the year, we're wondering, hey, how does Terry McLaurin do this with no help? You know, uh, I mean, I'm not going to sit there. Are you are you confident that Deami Brown and Curtis Samuel will be what they need next year, Sam? No, I, I don't think you can be. There's no evidence to suggest that one of those guys is going to be able to step in and, and you know, really take the focus away and and I know that Logan Thomas being out hurts as well and and there are so many you know uh caveats or explanations for this but when you think about who are the pillars of this offense starting with quarterback obviously but but you really don't have a good sense of I think at, at least at the skill positions who is going to take away you know the the attention from Terry McLaurin that, that we've heard about at the end of the last two years right. and I think Going back to your point about linebackers and, and leaky yards allowing, you know, a two-yard run to be a five-yard run, that to me I think is, is the question of Antonio Gibson because while he has shown yeah. a tremendous ability to, to get those tough yards, especially in that Tampa Bay game, during that four-game win streak, you know, he really um, handled a, a more touches on average than, than his previous career high. But due to his durability or, or other factors, you know, whether it was the shin earlier this year or the toe now, he, I don't think, has shown a consistent ability to turn a, a what what has blocked to be a five yard right. run into a seven or an eight yard run. And and while you know development at running back and knowing which holes to press and knowing when to cut it outside, those things are are good. But can you then translate that into the one or two or three extra yards that puts you in third and manageable instead of? you know, third and five or third and six. I think those are really important things that we don't know yet. And I think, yeah, because those hidden yards add up quite a bit. And, you know, and, and I think you're right. I, I think that's a good point. And I, that's why, like I said, I would put running back on that list in line. I'd always put offensive line on there. Plus you, you figure you're going to probably lose Brandon Sheriff. So you, you have to put, the, you know, either more depth unless you think that he, Charles can be the guy at that spot or West Schweitzer. So you do have some depth there, but I'm going to look for more after this year because I don't think, I think even at center, I'm going to want another guy behind Chase Ruye who can give me some consistent play in there. And I, this year is unusual with all the injuries, but I still want somebody in there. Like, and I like Keith Ishmael has some skills, but he's not a strong, strong guy. And I think if you want to run a power game, you're going to need to have that guy in there. So but anyway, but I think those other ones are the ones linebacker, running back, I would put up there higher. So, Sam, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for delivering the mail. And, you know, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. I, uh, I actually have a, a quick mailbag as well. I, I, I found a question. Uh, the, the question comes from Pete Haley, <laughs> NBCS. 
It is who is John Kimes' favorite Washington football team beat writer he can't say himself. Well, then I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> good, good answer. Well done. Right. Thank you, Sam. It's always kind. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Sam for joining me and thank you for your questions and for listening. Have a happy new year. I'll be back with another episode after Sunday's game. Talk to you next time.